Good morning again. If you'll return to your seats. Might have some some visitors this morning. I'm Pastor Brent, one of the pastors here at Country Oaks. Probably some of you are visiting because of, uh, I heard it's Mother's Day. And you should know the preacher's conundrum on Mother's Day. Do you Do you preach a Mother's Day sermon? Do you just go on to the next text, which is Zacchaeus? Well, he had a mother. I mean, we could probably, you know, work work it in. I was trained at Master's Seminary, and you know John MacArthur's an expositor, one line at a time, sometimes half a line at a time. And even he said, um, you don't have to preach a Mother's Day sermon on Mother's Day, and you can also find another job. So, <laughs> so then you're like, well, what text? So open your Bibles to the, the uh, Mother's Day text. No, d- don't, don't go to Proverbs 31. Is that where you were going? I just want to know. Raise your hand if you were going to go to Proverbs 31. Yeah. What, what's, what other one would it be? Because people were opening to... You know, Titus 2, yeah, yeah. So, the problem with uh, the Proverbs 31 Mother's Day sermon is all the moms go home feeling guilty. Like, (laughs) I'm not doing enough. This lady gets up at like at 3 a.m. and goes to bed never. So, and she's a stay-at-home mom, but she's like a full-time working mom. She's Claire Huxtable. Right? She's a lawyer, she's, she's a cook, she's a chef. Um, I think she exists. There's like an argument over whether she's an actual woman or there's just the picture of the perfect uh, woman. So we're not going to go there today. I love what Craig was sharing with us, that Mother's Day isn't special for everyone. So that's the real conundrum is on the one hand we want to exalt motherhood and praise God for motherhood and celebrate motherhood but being gracious and sensitive to the fact that in a fallen world, in a fallen world, Mother's Day isn't special to everyone and certainly in our post-Christian society, the biblical view of motherhood is not a popular one. And so we want to reach our culture, but we don't want to change the standard. But we understand that the standard sometimes pushes people away. You know, ah, these perfect Christians and Proverbs 31 and this mother who could do no wrong. And and that's not who we are. The world needs to know it's who we want to be in Christ, but nobody's arrived So then, what shall we say on Mother's Day? Honestly, believe it or not, I had prepared a sermon on Matthew 18, which if you're a mature Christian, you know, gee, that's the one on church discipline. And when we think of fathers, we think of the passage that a father, what, disciplines the ones he loves. And so we think of God as Father because God has revealed himself as Father. And there's lots of passages I can go to on Father's Day when you return those baby bottles filled with 
change and hopefully some dollar bills, fives, tens, twenties. Doesn't just have to be pennies. No shortage of father's passages because God has revealed himself as father. But certainly mother's discipline as well. And so we could do a discipline sermon. Although probably a lot of mothers are like, that's all I do all week long. Can I get a break from the discipline today? So you see, the preacher can never make everyone happy. And that shouldn't be his goal. His goal should be to exalt God, exalt Christ, preach the word. I will say we, won't, we are not getting the Matthew 18 sermon today. But knowing that this is live streamed, we do have a couple of people we love who've strayed from the flock. And the Bible has much to say about prodigals. And that God leaves the 99 to go after the one, or the 98 to go after the two in this case. And so if you're listening, names won't be named today, but we love you and you're loved and come home. Come home. A loving father is waiting for you. And if you know who I'm talking about, you know how to love them and approach them and call them home. Call them home. And for those who've been hurt, deeply wounded, if you're listening this morning, God has not left you or forsaken you. He loves you. He grieves with you. He weeps with you. He feels your pain. And Jesus died on the cross to cover the sins of what's causing you pain. And your church loves you And we lift you up in prayer. And you're not alone. And boy, there's Mother's Day connections there. Because isn't that the way a mother should love? To always love, no matter what the circumstances. To know there's someone who loves me, will always love me. Even when nobody else sees that love. We talk about a face only a mother could love, right, jokingly, but sometimes we live lives that only a mother could still love. And sometimes we cry out to those moms and go, would you stop giving him or her a soft place to land? And they can't help it because that nurturing love a mother has for her children is not easily erased. So then... What shall we preach? What shall we preach? I actually think that the Proverbs 31 woman is setting the bar too low. Oh dear, the mother's just got anxious and nervous. We don't exalt human beings as our standard. So... Let's do a little biblical theology this morning. Let me help you think biblically about how you should think about motherhood. So let's start with the fact that God has revealed himself as a father. The moms are saying, wait a minute, this is my day. We're going to get a Father's Day sermon today? No, not, not necessarily. But we need to be honest and we need to be biblical. Say, in God's 
wisdom, he has revealed himself as father. And so we reject liberal theology that says God is mother and God is father. And if you want to pray our mother who art in heaven, that's fine too. When the disciples said Jesus teach us to pray, if he wanted us to pray that way, he would have taught us to pray that way. That doesn't mean our Bible is misogynistic, that it exalts men and puts down women. Not at all. In fact, no book on this planet more exalts women than this one. And I'll make that case. That's not just platitudes. That is truth. God exalts womanhood and motherhood higher than any Hallmark card ever could. And if you forgot to get mom a card, I didn't just let you off the hook. (laughs) At least make a phone call. But you must understand that though God has revealed himself as father, he is not strictly male in the sense that we think of male and female. God is spirit. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came in human flesh as a man. And yet to say that God is male, well, you need to define what you mean by male. In Genesis 1.26, after the six days of creation, the last thing God creates is man in his image. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So in some very real sense, in order for humanity to bear the image of God, it required male and female. Well, that exalts womanhood to the highest place. You can't exalt it any higher than women bear the image of God. And yet, whenever we hear about God in the Bible, typically we're going to hear male language. Don't let that make you think, though, that God is a man in the sense that we think of manhood. Yes, Jesus Christ is a man. But he's also fully God. And when God created humanity to bear his image, he created them male and female. So certainly the Bible's not misogynistic. It exalts women to the highest place. The Bible highly honors women and motherhood. There was a time when there was no woman, and God said what? No bueno. No good. No good. Only time after he was done creating did he said, this is not good. And all the men said, amen. I love my male friends. I love male companionship. But the locker room can be an ugly place. Praise God for the grace and beauty and sanctifying effect a woman brings to this world. 
It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God made Adam from the ground. His name in Hebrew means ground, Adam. Breathe the breath of life into Adam because without God, there's no living thing. He breathes the breath of life into Adam. He becomes a sentient being, a sentient being, a moral actor, a moral character, a soul and built for eternity. And he said it's not good for man to be alone. Not that Adam was alone because he had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he needed a comparable helper to fulfill his God-given purpose. It's not just the companionship like, oh, he was alone. Remember, he's not alone. He had God. You're never alone with God. It's that his God-given purpose to fill the earth with God-worshippers couldn't happen without woman. And to tend the garden couldn't happen without his helpmeet. Now, God could have made woman out of the earth as well. But this beautiful thing God does, he puts Adam to sleep. And while he's asleep, he takes a rib and fashions woman out of man. Because she is equal in essence, equal in value. Amen? Different in function. And all the men said, Amen. Amen. And Adam awakens, and we have the first love song recorded. Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's poetry. Because mere words would fall short of describing the wonder and beauty of women. So we need a song, we need a poem, we need some rhythm to express all the great songs men have written to woo a woman. Here's the first one. This at last, all the animals, all the beautiful animals, all the wonderful animals and all their glory, but at last, this one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, man is ish and he calls his wife isha. It's not that he's not original. It's that he's exalting God the maker by saying, you made something out of me. We're, we're one. We're of the same essence. And we start to see a picture forming of our triune God. God is three persons, one God. All three of the same essence. And so if man is going to bear the image of God, in some way we need to image his triunity. In the Nicene Creed, we affirm that Jesus Christ is what? God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. 
and woman comes from man. She's not a completely separate entity. We are of one essence, yet we are completely different in function and in role. That doesn't make anyone lesser than anyone else. No more than the Son is any less God than the Father. Equal in essence, equal in value, equal in worth, equal in dignity, very different. And all the men and women said, Amen. That is something to be celebrated, not like our confused, rebellious culture that wants to blur those lines. The culture thinks it's exalting women by trying to replace man. But you're not exalting women, you're actually dragging her down. No offense, men. If our world truly wants to exalt women, then do it the way the Bible does. So here we have woman from man, and then the Nicene Creed says about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And what proceeds from the man and the woman? A child. And we have motherhood. No motherhood without children. And so that family unit mirrors and exalts our triune God. Is not the child the same essence as the man and the woman? Half his DNA, half her DNA. Now when man and woman fall into sin... God initiates this rescue plan. He covers their sin with a sacrificed animal. They were naked and unashamed. Now they're naked and ashamed. God covers their shame with animal skins. A sacrifice is made because the wages of sin is death. And he tells them of his rescue plan in Genesis 3.16. That from the woman's seed, which is odd, because the man has the seed, the woman has the egg. And we figure out what that means when Christ comes. The seed of Christ came from God because Jesus Christ is God. But he was born of a woman because he is also fully man, the God-man. And... Adam, for the first time, understands that there's something going on that's way bigger than him and his personal happiness and fulfillment. I wonder how much of his love poem when his wife is made was selfishly driven. Yes! Now, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is what I'm looking for. And that's how all men are attracted to women. We don't realize how selfishly driven we are in our attraction to one another. We think about what this person can finally do for me to make me happy. Which works great until after the wedding and now he or she is not making you happy.
And this romantic love that we are addicted to in our over-sexualized, over-romanticized culture is insufficient to describe the love of God that he has for us in Christ Jesus. It's not a capricious love. It's not a love that is here today, gone tomorrow, based on our performance. Because as we're trying to exalt motherhood this morning, a good godly mother loves her children in spite of performance. Amen? Amen. Now, does she do that perfectly? Of course not. It's a fallen world. But that's the standard, and that's the standard we're upholding this morning. Adam changes his wife's name now that he understands what their role really is on earth. He changes her name to Eve, which is the English transliteration of the Hebrew word that means living. It's really hard to say in Hebrew, so I won't try. Because she was the mother of all living. The the name he gave her, Isha, it's a good name because it recognizes that woman came from man. She's of the same essence. But it wasn't that God was making a woman so Adam could have all of his longings fulfilled. There's something bigger going on here. Be fruitful and multiply and have dominion to glorify God. Fill the world with God worshipers. That's what motherhood is about. Not personal fulfillment. Not I won't be whole until I'm a woman or a mother. Not until my kids turn out perfectly and people praise me will I be fulfilled. Motherhood is all about exalting God by filling the world with humble, grace-filled, loving God-worshippers. And from her womb, this perfect man will come that makes everything right. And so, she's no longer Isha, she's Eve. That's good. Give her a name that helps you remember this is what this woman was created to do. And that's going to inform our world and inform the man how he ought to love and lead this woman and her role she's been given. Ladies, if you don't have children of your own or you're done raising your children, you still have amazing influence over the next generation. The Bible affirms this, 1 Timothy 2.15. Paul says, even though the woman was deceived, and is why man made, excuse me, God made man the head, although man tries to make himself the head. Yeah, that was like a Freudian slip, I guess. God made man the head of the male-female relationship. It says she will be saved through childbearing. Now we know Paul's not talking about her salvation. Nobody's more careful to preach the gospel of grace through faith than Paul. So he's not saying the woman is saved, justified by childbearing. Otherwise, if you haven't had children, ladies... 
Sorry. Right? It can't be that. So what is Paul saying? He's using the word saved in a different sense. That she'll be redeemed in the sense that even though she played a pivotal role in the fall of mankind, though she's not to take all the blame, God put the blame on man. He was the head, he was the leader, he was the protector. He let his woman take the lead because that's what men do when they're lazy. And then blames the woman, in fact blames God for giving him the woman. But even though women bear the mark of being deceived by Satan, Paul here says God is not tossing woman aside. He's exalting his creation. He's exalting womanhood and exalting motherhood through childbearing. The Savior will come into the world. And as you have children and you raise them in a godly home in the fear and admonition of the Lord and you pray for your children, you will have an amazing redemptive influence on this world, mothers. We're exalting motherhood highly this morning. The task is much bigger than your personal affirmation. It's not your reputation on the line. It's God's reputation. To fill this world with God-fearing children, we play a role. God has to do a work in our children's heart, though, for them to be truly God-fearing people. So moms, don't beat yourself up if... You have wayward children. Keep praying for them. Don't take onto your shoulders what only God can take credit for. Otherwise, if they do follow the Lord, you'll be tempted to take all the credit. Second Timothy 1.5 Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Look at Paul exalting motherhood to the highest place. No mention of Timothy's father here. Fathers, you're important too. You'll get your sermon in a few weeks. Hang in there. But as I was reminded every year right before Mother's Day, that when they make Mother's Day cards available in the prison, they sell out of them. But on Father's Day, they get stuck with cases of Father's Day cards. Mothers, you have incredible influence over your children. As the comedian who's now fallen from grace, but at one day was very quotable, one day was very quotable, Bill Cosby used to say, you raise your son... You teach him to be a man. You teach him to play football. You pay for him to go to college. He scores the touchdown. Then the camera focuses on him. And he says, hi, Mom. And there's something to that that we all understand. The special bond mothers have with their children. I get jealous sometimes. You know. You get jealous. 
And for a second, I'm like, man, what would it be like to have another human being growing inside of me? And my wife's like, you really don't want to know. It's, it's not. Don't be jealous. Like the whole concept of Adam being put to sleep and, and Eve just being pulled from him. I think a lot of women are like, yeah, let's, let's just do it that way. Just put me to sleep. I wake up. There's a fully grown child ready to go out into the world. But God does things differently because in his wisdom he wants us to understand how completely helpless we are. He's our father. And in a sense, and be careful here with me, he's our mother. He's all those things. But he's revealed himself as father, so we refer to him as father. But does the Bible ever talk about God as mother? It it does, and I'll take you to some of those passages, but I want to warn you not to venerate... Next slide, please. Not to venerate a human figure in the Bible. Mary is the mother of Jesus, but she is not the divine standard of motherhood. She's not the divine standard of motherhood. In many matriarchal cultures that have difficulty accepting God as a loving father, the Roman Catholic Church has provided an idealized loving mother. Kind of as a, as a proxy. Like, I, I don't know how to relate to God as Father. Okay, we'll give you a female version of God. We'll use Mary. And she's, she's a co-mediator with Christ and a, and a co-redeemer with them. And the Bible doesn't teach this. I'm not going to pull punches here. It's heresy. It's wrong. And it may seem loving to give people this woman, this heavenly mother they can reach out to, but it's not loving It's never loving to portray God in a way he hasn't revealed himself to be. Yes, Mary was blessed among all women because she got to carry the Savior, but she sang, this is my Savior. This is my Savior. I, I speak from experience. My father was raised in a matriarchal um. Roman Catholic Italian context and my wife was raised in a Roman Catholic Hispanic context both very matriarchal cultures fortunately praise God we both had very strong fathers in our home so we had that picture of fatherhood we can relate to God as father maybe a little easily than those who didn't have a father in the home But this isn't how we're going to exalt motherhood by exalting a female figure in the Bible, whether it's Mary or whether it's the Proverbs 31 woman or it's Hannah. Although we can learn from Hannah who said, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him to you, Lord. And we should say that about all of our children. Lord, if you bless me with children, they're dedicated to you. They're going to, I will teach them to serve you. And we could look at Sarah, the original matriarch. And we're not going to exalt her either, but we can learn from her example. 
that she waited and waited and waited and she was patient and she trusted in the promises of the Lord eventually. <laughs> and that's like us. That trust, that faith is building and building and building. God's building up that faith in us. So, does the Bible ever use a motherhood motif? Next slide, please. Look at our Lord in Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. You're like, well, that's a chicken. (laughs) Right, that's a hen. That's a stretch. Psalm 91.4, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge like a, a, a mother hen, like a, a mother eagle protects. We understand that nurturing, protecting love of a mother, a mother bear. Don't get between a mother bear and her cubs. In fact, we call mothers mother bear. Pinions are feathers, by the way. It's not like a, a, a car part. It's a, it's a feather. Thank you to Adam Knowles, who said Jimmy Kelly taught him what pinions were. So, you know, when I moved to Tachapi, all these blackbirds flying around, I'd say, oh, the blackbirds. Oh, no, that's a crow. Or is it a raven? I don't know. They said, well, crows have five Opinions and blackbirds only have four. So it's really just a matter of opinion. <laughs> and it's, it's, now, it's now in my top five favorite jokes of all time. And it's yours now, too. But if you want a direct reference to motherhood, Isaiah 66, 13, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So here's God using the motherhood metaphor to describe his comfort for his rebellious people that he calls his own. Yes, children are rebellious, but I will comfort you. And in fact, in Isaiah 49, 15, he takes it all the way to the picture of the nursing mother. Oh, no, he did not. Oh, yes, he did. Oh, yes, he did. God is going to use the nursing mother to describe his love and nurture for us. That makes some people uncomfortable. I don't know why. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful, I think we're going to get rid of the nursing mother room back there. Just the chapel, blanket, it's a beautiful thing. The millennials don't seem to have a problem with this. Good for them. Good for them. If God uses this as imagery to describe himself, I want to be reminded. Not in an inappropriate kind of way, but oh, that's the way God loves and nurtures us. Like a woman who nurses her child, would she ever forget? Would you go through all the trouble to nurse that child and then forget them? No, God says. Even nursing mothers might forget their children, though it would be rare. I will not forget you, in spite of your rebellion. What a beautiful picture. We're exalting motherhood to the highest place. 
So it's not really so much that I'm preaching about motherhood is that I'm preaching about the love of a mother. It's a sermon on love this morning. The Bible alludes to the nurturing love of a mother to describe God's love. That's what we think of and why we get warm fuzzies when we think of our moms, is is the love they have for us. The love that protects, the love that nurtures, the love that disciplines, the love that takes pride in our accomplishments, the love that scolds when we need to be scolded. All of that's wrapped up in this mother's nurturing love. And when that love isn't present, that is where the pain comes from. Because we long to be loved that way. We long to be loved the way a godly mother loves. Because that is the way God loves. He's put that in us. That longing to be loved that way. And he's given us pictures of his love In motherhood, in fatherhood. Unfortunately, in our culture, we've exalted romantic love to the highest place. Most of the songs we sing, romantic love that's here today, gone tomorrow, and then maybe back the next day, and then gone the next day. And that is not the way God loves us. Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And he gives a list. Height, debt, depth, principalities, rulers, angels, demons, anything you could think of. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Even death can't separate us. I mean, Sadly, because all we can understand is romantic love, so much of our modern worship music is tapping into romantic love. Oh, beloved, God loves you better than your girlfriend or your boyfriend. The kind of love that's here today and gone tomorrow. He loves you like a mother loves her child and nurtures and protects even when we reject. Even when your child says those fateful words, Mom, I hate you. I can't stand you. I want to be out of this house. It's what we say to God in our rebellion. And he says, I will keep loving you like a nursing mother Loves her baby. So on Mother's Day, we could acknowledge that there is a general and universal experience of a mother's special nurturing love for her children. Even in non-Christian cultures, they have God's common grace shed on them that mothers love their children. And it's the way it should be. And there's something wrong when they don't. There's something that doesn't add up. The world doesn't know what to do with that. And so they try to excuse it by exalting choice and human freedom and whatever the case may be. And so now we've got entire nations in the West bereft of children 
because they've been told life is about you and about your happiness and your fulfillment and by golly, children get in the way of that. They're expensive and they're messy and they're rebellious and time-consuming and who has time for that? In Western Europe, listened to that nonsense, listened to the devil and there's no children now. And you really can't make up for lost time once a whole generation decides not to have children. And so as Christians, we will continue to exalt motherhood, that it's a blessing from God, that children are a blessing of the Lord, that we're to fill this world with God worshipers, humble, grace-filled, loving God worshipers, and we're going to teach them what that looks like because it won't come natural to them. And yet, when they're not getting it, they'll be the first to complain. Isn't that interesting about fallen human nature? We know what love is supposed to be because it's deep down inside of us, but we won't love that way. But when we don't get love that way, we're the first to complain. And so we end up bringing evidence against ourselves that we are guilty as charged. We know the way we should be loved. And we're mad when we're not loved that way, but then we turn around and we don't love that way. And that's the message we need to give to this world is God made us to be loving beings and the problem is we don't love. We love ourselves. But God has a solution to the problem. Perfect love came down through the womb of a woman. So, A Mother's Day sermon really should be about love. Next slide, please. Why do we only read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings? Why do we take this great passage on love and hijack it only for romantic settings? It belongs at a wedding, don't get me wrong. But Paul was talking about unity in the church. Let me read 1 Corinthians 13 and, and tell me that that's not the kind of mom everybody would want. Love is patient. Amen. Wait, I didn't get through the whole list. <laughs> I'll just settle for mom is patient. <laughs> love is kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, and it bears all things, and believes all things, and hopes all things, and endure all things. Who wants a mom like this? I tell you, you have a mom like this. You have a God like this, who's teaching moms to be moms like this. And teaching dads to be dads like this. And teaching husbands to be husbands like this. And teaching wives to be wives like this. And teaching friends to be friends like this. And brothers and sisters to love like this. This is a sermon about love. Because that is what exalts motherhood to the highest place. God is the standard of love. Next slide please. 1 John 4, 8. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, love always seeks the welfare of others. Love doesn't seek its own. And so, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So let's exalt mothers today when they love like this and give them grace when they don't love like this because we all need grace because nobody loves like this apart from faith in Jesus Christ and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit dwelling in you. We can strive for this standard. We can set the bar all the way where it goes because God's grace covers our shortcoming. And the love of God covers a multitude of sins. But we're not going to change the standard. So be encouraged today, moms, but also be Empowered and inspired to love like Christ. Next slide, please. Jesus Christ is the standard of love for all humanity. Shouldn't we have known that the answer to the big question was Jesus? What is the standard of motherhood? Jesus. Wait, he's the son. He's the, yeah, because you're so focused on what you want a mother to be or what you want to be as a mother, your focus should be on who should I be as an image bearer of God Most High. My goal is Jesus Christ. And if you're like Jesus Christ, people will say, now there's a good mother. But if you try to make motherhood your goal, you will fall into all kinds of traps and temptations, comparing yourself to other moms. I'm going to ruin my kids. They didn't get into the, you know, it's graduation season, so we got to ask, what, where are your kids going to school? Where, where, did, do they make honor roll? And the moms just, eh, they either beat themselves up or they get puffed up in pride. Don't do that to the moms. It's not about being the perfect mother. It's about being like Christ, which no one has achieved except Christ. But that's the standard. And because God sent his son to die for us and he was raised on the third day and he's adopted us into his family and he says nothing can separate you from his love, you have confidence now that you can aim for the standard knowing you're going to fall short but God is going to continue to love you anyways. Don't change the standard. Don't ask the world to set the standard for motherhood. They don't know what they're doing. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's like, wow, he preached Christ on Mother's Day. Of course I would. He didn't have to be a mom to set the standard for motherhood because motherhood is all about loving your children. And who better loves children than God our Father. 
So I'm not going to call him God our mother because he doesn't call himself God our mother. But does he not love the way a mother should? Nurturing, protecting, encouraging. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If all, mo- if all mothers are supposed to image God and Jesus is the image of the invisible God, then there is your picture, your standard, mothers, Jesus Christ. And now you see that you don't actually have to have children of your own to be a great mother. You be Jesus to everyone you come in contact with and you will be a great mother. Everybody wants to be loved that way. So love that way. Humbly, and you will be exalted. You don't have to exalt yourself as mom. You love this way, and even the world will exalt. Everybody wants to be loved this way. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, even in motherhood, he might be preeminent. God, we thank you for the idea of motherhood that we were all babies, helpless, needing everything. So we would learn humility that we need you for everything. The way a babe needs his mother. And thank you for showing us your love through the way mothers love. Thank you that you love us even better than the best human mother has ever ever loved. Lord, encourage and strengthen the ladies of our church to love the way Jesus loves, knowing that they are perfectly loved by you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.